Welcome to Exodus 19, A Nation Married to Yah, with your host, Richard Massey. I pray that you guys are having a blessed Sabbath, and I pray also that whatever you and your family are going through, that Yah gives you the strength to go through it. Today, we're going to talk about Paul, and we're going to talk about whether Paul was of the law or whether Paul was against it. So I picked out some scripture that's going to talk about Paul in a confusing sense when I'm usually talking to a lot of my Christian friends, how we go back and forth on that. But then I want to pick out some scriptures that I feel are plain and simple. There's no confusion added to it. So let's get started. We're going to go to 2 Peter 3. And I want to read something that Peter wrote in regards to Paul. That could be something you never thought about or something you never really uh, read. 2 Peter 3, 16 to 18. It says, and also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Now, this is Peter saying this about Paul's writing. He's saying that some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle with it, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now, you could be saying, well, that could be, he could be talking about you. 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Adonai and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So I wanted to read that first because Paul is saying, Peter is saying that Paul's writings are hard to understand. So, you know, when you think that Paul is saying one thing, maybe he's not saying what you think he's saying because you have to. And I heard a pastor say this and I don't I can't remember which one it was. He said that um, the whole Bible can't speak about the law, and then you get to Paul, and he's saying something different. Either you're misunderstanding it, or what else did he say? Or Paul's not saying what you what you think he's saying. So you might you so you're misunderstanding it. Paul can't be the only inconsistent writer or storyline in the whole Bible. Yahshua, where Jesus followed the law, but like I said last week. You might give him a pass because he didn't die on the cross yet. But let's read on. So let's go to Galatians 3. A friend of mine pointed this scripture out to me a while ago through text. And I really don't like writing back and forth because it's so hard to to get your message across. But, I mean, he did a good job with it. Shout out to Derek, Derek Davis. Love you, bro. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ had redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Yeshua HaMashiach, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannul or added thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, 
and to seize as as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Hamashiach. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before Adonai and Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise of Elohim. It, it is no more a promise, but at Elohim gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It is added because of transgression, until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. But if you just go back to 13, it'll tell you what the subject of this scripture or this chapter is about. He's talking about not the law. He's talking about the curse of the law. If you were somebody that went through a red light and the penalty for a red light when I was back on the job might have been a hundred and something dollars. And my father said to me, that hundred and something dollars is a curse of the law. It is a penalty to the law, particular law that you broke. Some laws require death. Some law requires less. If my father was to say to me, that curse of that red light, the ticket that you got on that red light, I'm going to pay it. It doesn't remove the fact that there's still a law that says you can't go through the red light. So it just talks about this chapter is talking about the curse, the penalty of that law Yahshua took, but he's not taking away the, the law itself. So then you ask yourself, should you keep going through the red light and having your father pay for it because he has the money or because he has the ability to be the justifier for you? Or will after a while, would you look like you are just not caring because it's not your money that is being paid for through him? Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. It says, purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even HaMashiach, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in, a, in an epistle not to company with fornicators. So last week we talked about the Passover being called the Passover or unleavened bread. And sometimes some things in the Bibles are physical, like the unleavened bread was a tangible, flat wafer of bread. But notice how this is talking about a spiritual side, not necessarily talking about bread, but it's the same description. He says, purge out, therefore, the old leaven. Remember, he said, don't put nothing in the bread that make it rise and puff up. What is he talking about? Here he's talking about pride, being hard-headed being disobedient, being stiff-necked, right? Having the pride of life. He says that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. You are flat, you are humble, you are meek and lowly, right? If you look at a lot of men in the Bible that Yah dealt with, 
The Bible says Moses was the meekest and most humble man on the earth. At uh, uh, Abraham, same thing, meek and humble. Noah, meek, humble. God never uses an alpha male. That's why he said when you go out, go out like a sheep among wolves. He could use a wolf, but he's telling the sheep to go out in the midst of wolves, to be humble, to be able to teach, to be able to edify and to show, to be a, a royal priesthood, a, a sort of tithe, if you will, of his nation, being an example for the world to see, for the world to be inquisitive of, to who, who will then turn to you and say, basically what the Bible says, what must I do to be saved? I see how your life is being played out. I see what type of mannerism you have. And I want that. So here he's talking about being unleavened in your heart. No sin, right? He's saying, for even Christ, our Passover is a sacrifice for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, being able to teach, being able to edify, being able to lift up the name of Yahshua HaMashiach, or in some of you guys' cases, Jesus Christ, okay? That's what he's talking about here. Let's go to Colossians 2, Colossians 2, and let's look at Colossians 2, 16 to 19. He said, let no man beguile you. He said, I'm sorry, he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day. You see how the devil always rides off of what God creates and he makes holiday? But it says, therefore, he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of unholy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Hamashiach. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and, and intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of Elohim. So, this is how I was learned in the scripture. I've been walking this walk for close to five years, maybe four. So every week I used to have fellowship with a lot of my Christian friends at least two times a week, at least two times a week. So I say I was walking, I'm walking this walk now for the last four years. So let's say six years ago. So now I'm walking the walk of, now I believe in the Sabbath. Now I believe in following the law. Now I believe in the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now I believe in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now I believe in the Feast of the Trumpets. Now, six years ago, I didn't. So because I believe in it in the last four years, that's what he's saying. Let no man therefore judge you in me. And talking about the dietary law, he can't judge you in that or in drink, or in a respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, 
or of the Sabbath day. Because six years, you wouldn't have had to bring the scripture to my attention because I wasn't doing it. So now that I'm doing it and now that I'm I'm teaching on it, now people are saying, now people are judging me on it. You see how that's written? Now people are saying, you don't have to do that. Six years ago, nobody wasn't putting this scripture out to me, but now because I'm walking in this walk, and it's just Paul's way of writing, which can be kind of confusing. That's why the first thing I did was I went to the first scripture was talking about Peter saying that Paul's writings are hard to understand, and sometimes you wrestle with them. So, you know, uh, but but he's not saying that let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink to where you can't do it. Now that I'm doing it, people are now telling me, judging me and trying to teach me that you don't have to do it. And that's what Paul is saying. Let no man do that. So let's go to Acts 13 and 41. And I hope that I'm explaining this right, because it's hard to really, uh, I'm not a professional teacher, so it's hard to sometimes get my point across. So Acts 13, 41, it says, Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were going out of the synagogues, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So this is talking about the fact that I believe that the Sabbath starts Friday at 6 p.m., and it's done at Saturday, 6 p.m. So I'm trying to paint this picture of 42 when it's Acts 13, 42, when it says, and when the Jews were going out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Why wasn't it just preached to them the first day of the week, which was Sunday? So see, sometimes you might not see that. So if Saturday is if Saturday or the Sabbath is when he preached it, but in Christianity we say that it doesn't matter. Why didn't he just preach it the next day? Why did they have why did the Gentiles have to wait seven days? So here's a scripture where Paul is not talking about the law, but the story is showing you something that Paul is only preaching on the Sabbath, right? It says, now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of Elohim. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city to hear what the, the word of Elohim. So they didn't have a problem. Paul did not preach on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. They waited, and then they didn't even wait till Sunday the following week. They did it again on the Sabbath. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Okay? They didn't want the Jews to be a part of the message. They didn't want the Jews to have an extension to salvation, right? That's a whole nother red flag. That's a whole nother crossover. Um, let's go to Romans 2, because this one here is one way, so to speak. And then the next scripture is going to be another way, so to speak. You be the judge. Romans 2, 
11, Romans 2, 11. It says, for there is no respect of persons with Elohim. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So either way, get in line, right? For not the hearers of the law are just before Elohim, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves. So remember, this might be a bad illustration. When, um, what was his name? Joseph? Joseph was, who was it? That was uh, put into prison. He was put in prison because he uh, he was accused of sleeping with the uh, the wife of a king. And she kept coming on to him, but he kept um, avoiding her and getting away from her. Um, he already had the knowledge that he told her, he said, everything that in the kingdom is basically open to me except you. The integrity that I have for your husband is a no-brainer. So he's saying here, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. These people know how to stop at the stop sign. They won't go through the red light. They won't lie on their neighbor, neighbor or be uh, uh, envious of their neighbor. They're not going to tell a story on you or lie on you. They all already have a law unto themselves. That's why the Bible says the law is not for the righteous, because it's already in you to do the things that are lawful. You won't take a gun and run into a store and stick it up because you have the law inside of you already. That's why it's not for the righteous. But when you think about doing something that is unlawful, the law will rise up in you to keep you from doing it, which is also salvation, which brings on eternal life. You have it already inside of you not to do particular things that's going to offend the word of God or make you to where now you are going to have to explain yourself. And that's what he's saying in 15. Uh, let's read 14 again. It says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. 15, which show the works of the law written in their hearts. Remember, we talked about that last week and and um, the Passover last week. It says their conscience also be bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile, excusing or else accusing or else excusing one another, right? So there's a mechanism inside you that's already preset to know right and wrong. And uh, when that decision comes up, there is a this there is something that reminds you that what you're about to do is wrong, but at the same time, you have a decision that you can make to do it anyway. I was listening to a, this guy is actually a, a, um, a seven-day Adventist pastor, and he was talking about the nature, sin nature, versus original sin. And that's what he was basically saying. It, Yahshua came down here as a living example to show us when these things approach you, you have a way of escape. 
You can take the way you want that your flesh is telling you to take. But this is why, you know, it's awesome that God knows your heart. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know how hard you're battling a particular thing. Yah knows. Yahshua knows. And that's all that matters. That's why when you see a lot to me, when you see a lot of these men and the angel stands before them, that the Bible says they fall like dead men. Because the angels are the only ones at that point that know you full of horse pucky. This is why you're falling, because you know there's not a word you can say to me that I won't already see through it. All right, let's go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 1. And this is a popular scripture, too, uh, uh, scripture and verse. But a lot of times we only start at 4. And I think sometimes we only do for it. Paul is also talking here. He says, children, obey your parents in Adonai, for this is right. See, we talked about that before. Make up your mind. You don't have to obey your parents. But if you do, this is considered right by Paul, right? He says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Why are you talking about the commandments in Ephesians? Ephesians, how do you pronounce That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There's a condition here. If you obey your mother and your father, and we talked about that in one of the marriage episodes, that you have, you have a choice you can make. I hope somebody is getting this. Uh, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of Adonai. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Hamashiach. And this is one of the scriptures that slave owners use on slaves to get their points across, that servants should be obedient to them that are your masters. Here's a real quick bone. Let's go to John 14. Let's go to John 14, 11. It says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Who is this talking? Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believe on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. But then we don't read the next line. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Now, here, Yahshua is about to die on the cross soon. Um, so we said last week, you know, maybe uh, we can use the fact that he's honoring the law because he hasn't died yet. and um, you know, that's what we're going to use. But he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And why are you calling the commandments yours? I don't understand that. I mean, I do. But have you ever thought about that? Why is Yahshua saying, if you love me, keep my commandments? How do you argue this? Let's go to Galatians 5. I think I had that. Uh, Yes, we have two more left. So let's have your food. Galatians 5 1. Galatians 5 1. I'm going to start. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith. 
Hamashiach have made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Hamashiach shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Hamashiach has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So here it seems like he's saying, listen, don't you sit up here and, 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 and if you do, if you get circumcised, then you just you just negated the Hamashiach because circumcision is under the law. So he's saying it seems like he's saying here, he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Hamashiach have made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, he said, Hamashiach profit you nothing. So here it seems like he's saying, if you get circumcised, then you just negated your relationship with Hamashiach, right? That's what it seems like he's saying. Paul writes in a confusing manner. But now hurry up, hurry up. Let's go down to Acts 16. Acts 16, 1, and it says, Then came he to Derby and Lesbia, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. So the uh, Timotheus' uh, mother was a Jewess, and his father was a Greek. So mixed marriage. Again, a Gentile crossover, right? It's not the issue here which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, him will Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. So now Paul is circumcising him because of the pressure, not necessarily pressure, of the people being part Greek and part Jewish. So instead of him just going back and forth, right, he's going to do the circumcision on this guy, right, on Timotheus. And as they went through the city, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. So Paul is not against circumcision. He is not against the law. I hope that this points us out. I don't know what else to say. So thank you for tuning into Exodus 19, A Nation Married to Yah. I'm Richard Massey. I hope that you guys are having a blessed Sabbath. Shalom. And reach out to me. I have a page on Facebook, Exodus 19. And uh, I'm going to try to find another way to uh, have you guys reach out to me to correspond back and forth. And also, tell a friend. Help me to grow my page. Uh, and I'm also on YouTube as well. If you want to see my um, my face, put a, a face to the to, to the voice. I'm on YouTube, Exodus 19, The Nation Married to Yahweh, Richard Massey. Uh, shalom and peace.